Hello and welcome to the TLDR News Podcast. It's our very first episode. We've done a few incarnations of this podcast before, but yeah. um, I think this one's aiming to be a bit more general uh, about UK politics. You know, we did trust issues last year, which was very specific. So we should be here every week uh, from here on out uh, discussing what's been going on in UK politics this week. So I'm joined today by Zach Michaelis, uh, TLDR's Editor-in-Chief, and Rory Taylor. Uh, what's your title now? Writer? Know. Writer, contributor, contributor, personality. Yeah. Former social media guy. <laughs> yeah. You shouldn't laugh at personality. Um, but yeah. <laughs> good to be back. Anyways. Good. Well, yeah. it's been a bit of a chaotic weekend. It seems like it's a good time to restart this. We've got a lot mm. to talk about. Um, so, shall we start with the Boris Johnson uh, saga? So, we'll talk about the um, uh, honours list. Should we do that? Yeah, sure. Start with that. Well, there's sort of two parallel stories. There are. There? So, if yeah. you start with the honours list and then we'll move on to privileges. Okay. So, uh, do either of you want to give a summary or do you want me to give a summary? Why don't you give a summary? Okay. So, uh, essentially, a week last Friday, I think it was, the Prime Minister, Rishi Sunak, met with Boris Johnson. Um, at Boris Johnson's insistence, uh, they didn't. Rishi Sunak didn't really want to talk about the, you know, honours situation, um, but Boris Johnson sort of insisted on it. Effectively, the prime, the uh, Boris Johnson has his resignation honours, so he can nominate some of his key allies to, you know, knighthoods, um, nominate them to the House of Lords. Uh, it was quite a controversial one. There were some figures, some people were suggesting that he was uh, nominating about a hundred people, yeah. including maybe even his own father. Uh, that didn't end up happening. It was a lot fewer than that. Um, but there were three names, that uh, three of his, his key allies that were nominated to the House of Lords. So that was Nadine Dorries, Alok Sharma and Nigel Adams. Um, now, there's a, a weird quirk with this is that for them to be, be able to go to the House of Lords, they have to resign uh, as MPs. Within the next six months, they decided that they weren't going to do this because it would cause a by-election, which might be a bit humiliating for the Tories at the minute, uh, given... You know, how far behind they are in the polls, they'd likely lose. Um, they thought they were doing this as a, you know, in this meeting, it was Johnson thought he'd acquired a quid pro quo with the Prime Minister that if they they decided to push the, you know, push that a little bit further along and didn't resign, causing these by-elections, that Rishi Sunak would uh, appoint them to the House of Lords at a f- for, uh, future date. Yeah. He didn't do that. So they, Nadine Dorries and Nigel Adams resigned in protest, uh, you know, this this sort of kick this whole thing off. So uh, what are your, you know, do either of you have any particular takes on this, what this could mean going forwards, especially these yeah. by-elections that are about to happen? Well, I was just going to quickly say on the honours list thing, it's funny how, obviously, it started out 100 names or so, very controversial. Even the smaller, shorter list that ended up going through is still packed with allies of Boris Johnson and those who, a lot of his staff who are implicated in Partygate stuff, mm. now going into the House of Lords. Um, including uh, there's a 29-year-old former political staffer. She's going to the House of Lords now. She's the youngest ever life peer, and she spent about one life or two... Peer. Yeah. Ooh. So age 29, she's going to be a, a legislator forever for the rest of her life, unless so, they abolish the House of Lords. So but, jealous. Yeah. <laughs> it's pretty good, isn't it? God, imagine, like, five years' time being yeah. a lord. God, yeah. that'd be good. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the list, if you ignore the Nadine Dory stuff, is controversial yeah. in and of itself, but... Um, yeah, on the on the by elections, uh, it's it's not looking great for the government based on no. polling and history, I guess. <laughs> um, Lib Dems and Labour are already kind of whirring up their by election machines in the hope of inflicting a triple defeat uh, yeah. on the government, and it's exactly what Rishi Sunak was hoping to avoid, um, mm. but it's happening anyway. Well, well the yeah. interesting thing here is that so Rishi Sunak had 
effectively gone into this meeting was some reports have said that he was deliberately sort of vague with Johnson. Um, and it seems that he's kind of got, it looks like he might have, he's trying to portray it as he's won, but realistically he's still got three by-elections that yeah. he's almost certainly about to lose in quite a humiliating fashion. Oh. What do you think about that, Zach? Do you think he's, this has actually played his hand particularly well or, or not? I sort of think, to Sunak's credit here, I think there wasn't really any other way to play it. I think that there was always going to be a spat here because Johnson's honours list was always too controversial for its own good. And Johnson was always asking too much of Sunak. He was essentially asking Sunak to overrule the appointments committee. Mm. Um, and that was always going to be controversial. And Sunak's line, what he's trying to say is that he he was, he was just wasn't involved with this. So Sunak's yeah. line is that he was just following what the House of Lords appointments committee told him to do and that he was never agreeing to any quid pro quos, to never going to delay any period just for Nadine Dorries or anything like that. He was just going to follow exactly what the House of Lords appointment commission told him to do. And... Yeah, and I think that actually, as it as it goes, that's probably like that's pretty good defensive line if you're going to get into sort of a shit slinging fight with Boris Johnson, mm. um, and it does sort of remove him from the whole the whole thing, and it also it sort of lines up quite nicely with the character he wants to play in this battle. He wants to be the adult in the room, yeah. and he wants Johnson to look like the sort of petulant loser. And if he can just say, "Listen, I was just doing as I was told. I didn't want to get into the politics of all this," and Johnson is making various sort of slightly convoluted allegations, then Sunak can look a, a little bit removed and he can look just a little bit more adult, really. As public relations goes, I think you're absolutely right. I think that this is building into the sort of Rishi Sunak is the adult in the room, all of that. I think he's played that very well. But at the end of the day, he still has these three by-elections, which will reflect on Sunak where he, you know... Sure, but I think this, I think that was always going to... Well, maybe not always, but I think he was always going to face at least a by-election, however this panned out. You know, there's always going to be either Johnson's or Dorries. One of them was going to resign. If mm. he overruled the House of Lords Appointment Commission, for example, then Dorries would have, well, I don't know if they would have banned that one. But, you know, if basically he said yes to Johnson's original appointments, then he would have faced by-elections anyway. This way, mm. he goes into the by-elections with the line that, you know, this is all Johnson's doing. I was just doing as I was told. Um, but you're right. I mean, he it's, it's not an easy position for Sunak. And I think the difficult thing for him is that in fighting back against Johnson, you know, he's, there is an electoral advantage to that because Johnson is politically toxic and, and the electorate really, really don't like him. Um, but the main risk, and Sunak sort of basically pitching himself in contrast to Johnson is probably a good move. You know, he has quite a lot to gain electorally by sort of pitching himself as the non-Johnson, the opposite to Johnson, the antidote to Johnson. Um, but the big risk he runs, obviously, is he, he runs the risk of sort of exacerbating the pre-existing divisions within the parliamentary yeah. party and how that affects the Conservatives' wide electoral chances in the future is is really an open question. Yeah, I think that's the really interesting point is how this affects the Conservative Party more generally because Sunak has, to his credit, for the last few months, certainly since becoming Prime Minister, been trying to repair a very, very damaged party and the the chaos of, of last year seems to have subsided slightly and what this risks mm -hmm. is undoing a lot of that. Um, so, uh, you know, it's still an open question as to, to what happens. And I think it all sort of depends on what Johnson does next. Yeah. You know, in the video that, we're, that should be coming out alongside this, you know, we explain the, the options that Johnson has. Mm. But I think that certain of those options, you know, risk dividing the party a lot more. Yeah, I think Sunak's been lucky in that for the last few months, Johnson has made these kind of little digs against Rishi Sunak. But Sunak's been able to kind of just ignore them because he just, you know, gets on with his job and ignore Boris Johnson, whereas now it's 
It's yeah, just Johnson's. stopping the boats. He's doing what, <laughs> yeah. doing what he's supposed Buying to be doing. Yeah, yeah, bringing down inflation, stopping the boats. Good um, on so, but now Boris Johnson has kind of, you know, done the nuclear option of resigning. Like, it's unavoidable now, this inter-party war. Well, should we, should we move on and talk to... to it, it's important just to differentiate these, which is that the, the resignations of Nadine Dorries and Nigel Adams were very much to do with this... The, the, the honour system, yeah. whereas Johnson's resignation seems to be slightly different because um, this is relating to the Partygate investigation yes. from the Privileges Committee. Um, so I'll jump in and yeah, yeah. do a brief history of Partygate. No, um, basically, <laughs> uh, for a while now, the Privileges Committee, made up of cross-party MPs, has been investigating whether Boris Johnson misled, knowingly and recklessly misled the House of Commons when he repeatedly said they were always following the rules at Downing Street during uh, the pandemic. Um, Johnson, you know, he's been kind of making his case to the committee that he didn't break, uh, he didn't lie to Parliament, whatever. Um, it all came to a head on Friday. Friday, When yeah. the Privileges Committee sent Johnson their kind of draft report. Um, and in that, they said that they would, were going to recommend that he would be suspended from the House of Commons for a period more than 10 days. I don't actually know if we know the exact period. We don't. It's okay. suggested it, it, it's at least above 10. Some are suggesting it's about 20, yeah. but we don't know yet. But the fact that it would have been above 10 days would have um, meets the conditions for a recall petition, which can... Well, assuming it's approved by the oh, House yes. of Commons. Yeah. yeah, that's the key thing. It has to be approved by the whole House. Um, but majority, assuming it would yeah. be... Yeah, holes in all yeah, MPs votes on it. Yeah. That's all right. Um, assuming that happened, it can pave the way to a by-election, which polling suggests Johnson would probably lose yeah. to Labour. Um, so he saw that, realised there was a good chance that he would be suspended and face a by-election um, and decided rather than do that, he would resign with immediate effect. Uh, I mean, not actually immediate effect because technically he's still an MP, but um, we don't need to go into that. Anyway, <laughs> he would resign yeah. rather than face all of that. Yeah. And in his resignation statement, he launched this massive attack against the committee, um, accusing it of being a kangaroo court, saying they're always out to get him, they've got no evidence, they've stitched him up part of a plot to take him down quite Trumpian style um so yeah it was I mean he's been critical mm. of the committee before but this was like a full broadside attack on it basically we don't know exactly what's in the report yet but the suggestions that they have accused Johnson of a contempt of parliament mm. in the committee hearing itself yeah. Yeah. which is a, you know that that's that's in addition to potentially, misle well, misleading the House as well, which is why they they have recommended a suspension of more than 10 days. Yeah. I think an important thing to note on that as well is that, as with all committees in the House of Commons, they are representative of the competition of Parliament. Mm. So the Tories have a majority at the minute. So this whole idea that it's a kangaroo court it is led by Conservative. Oh, it's, it's, yeah, it's, the chair it's is, is Harriet Harman, Labour MP, and he, yeah. Johnson, mentioned that quite a lot in his letter, saying, you know, she was kind of leading this... Um, yeah. But it's not a Labour him. committee. Exactly. Um, no, it's a nonsense on so many levels, yeah. that. I mean, like the idea that a kangaroo court allows you to use taxpayer money to pay the most expensive QC, well, KC in the UK to, to defend, defend your case. You. Yeah. yeah, that's a classic, like, kangaroo Uganda stuff. <laughs> yeah. Like, what a joke. And he, he was saying um, a small group of people were forcing him out when actually the steps to him getting removed from the House of Commons involves the cross-party committee recommending the suspension, the House of Commons... You know, conservative majority approving of that enough of his uh, constituents signing a petition and then voting him out in a by-election that's not a small group of people I also forcing think, him out so that's why it? he quit 
Yeah. Uh, that's why he quit as opposed to do the whole, like he, you jump before he was pushed yeah. because it's a lot easier to paint yourself as a martyr if you just have the committee yeah. whereas if, rather yeah. than your constituents. Yeah, the entire House of Commons and then your constituents. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> In which case you just look like a dickhead. It's, it's, also, it's also worth noting as well that he won like one of the biggest majorities since what, the late 90s mm. um, for, for the Conservatives. Like the, the, it's a huge Conservative majority still. You know, especially if you compare back to like the, you know, slim majority of David Cameron post 2015, yeah. Theresa May, etc. Like, it's still very conservative dominated in the yeah. House of Commons. And as we pointed out, for him to be suspended, it requires a vote in the House of Commons. So if it went to a simple vote and his own party backed him, he wouldn't have been suspended. I mean, I know that the convention is that yeah. they will just agree with the committee. If, that vote, if we'd have got to the stage where they had a vote, that would have been interesting. Very interesting. And there would have been, you know, Tory party civil war probably over that as well, based yeah. on... The Johnson allies voting against it, and then interestingly, I think they would have actually it. survived that. So I think, think that would have been um, very similar situation to have with the Windsor framework. Yeah. Thing, whereas there was a lot of chatter about Johnson oh, yeah, rebellion, and small rebels. Yeah, then, like twenty of them before yeah. they realised that wasn't the place to fight. I think the interesting thing about what's happening now is Johnson has to pick his moment to fight the fight. Yeah. Because what you have is you have the vast majority of the Conservative Parliamentary Party are sort of soft Sunakites. Mm. And they aren't like ideologically aligned with Sunak, but they prefer him to Johnson because they think he's their best chance of keeping their seats at the next election. And w while that's still true, Johnson can't really challenge Sunak. No. So he has to find a convenient point in time where he can convince enough of the Parliamentary Party, a sort of critical mass, yeah. that actually Sunak's not going to win them the next election. And... I don't think that would have been the time. I think mm. that he would have been fine. What I think is interesting is how he responds to the by-elections because by-elections are always pretty tough for incumbent yeah. governments and they've proven particularly tough in the, this parliament. Um, and if Sunak loses, let's just say all three, because two of those, Mid-Bedfordshire and the other one. Um, Selby and somewhere. That's the one. Yeah, yeah there we go. We're political gurus here. <laughs> yeah. um, those are, there should be safe Tory seats. If he loses both of those, then you, you might see that sort of like a little bit of momentum yeah. for Johnson in the parliamentary yeah. party. Although, you know, whether or not he can capitalise on that will fundamentally depend on how stupid the parliamentary party is. Because while you might get a little bit of wavering, you know, if they see some bad results and people might be going, well, maybe we should return to Johnson. Mm. I mean, it's just objectively a bad idea. Like the polling suggests that Johnson yeah. is just not popular in the wider public. Um, and another sort of internal row is not what the Tory party needs, yeah. especially this close to the next general election. It, it is incredible how Johnson is, he's fully bought into the myth of his own popularity, I think. Yeah. And yeah. by avoiding the spy election, he has avoided an opportunity for him to possibly learn something about his own popularity because the last electoral thing he actually faced was 2019. He won a massive majority. Since then, he's managed to kind of convince himself that he is still incredibly popular with the country when polling just doesn't back that up. And, and the 2019 election was, you know, months after he became leader. Yeah. He wasn't tried and tested as a, as a prime minister yeah. at that point. He's never faced an election on his record, really. So I think you're right. I think he is still yeah. under this interpretation that he's still 2019 Boris when that is just not yeah. true. There's been so yeah. much that's happened since then. I think just going back slightly as well, I think the interesting thing is, and I think we'd spoken about this before, was whether the committee would recommend more than a 10-day mm -hmm. suspension. And I think that we at least had said it's probably unlikely that they were going to suggest a more than 10-day suspension. And if you look at other... Uh, MPs that have been suspended from the House of Commons, you know, when you, you get onto things about, uh, you know, lobbying, cash for access, those kind of things, you know, they don't really get that close to, to 10 days. 
So it had to be something quite big. And I think mm. that that contempt of Parliament yeah. was the compounding factor that pushed it over the 10-day yeah. thing. If he so if he, did, if he didn't go in with all this bravado, and yeah. some of the things he said in committee, which, you know, was televised, and we all saw, yeah. was was kind of ludicrous, some of the yeah. things that he was claiming. The, the people with the power to get you kicked out of Parliament, you generally would want to keep them on your side possibly but i guess his strategy was going all guns blazing yeah yeah, yeah. it was some of the some of the stuff was was i mean w one of the things he claimed was that um i genuinely believe that it was necessary for me to uh, uh honor people who were leaving with a big leaving do in covid it's like you, you're yeah. posting everything else was telling people not to it's ridiculous yeah. but yeah so he i think if he if he'd have played committee better he probably would wouldn't have had the suspension, and he'd still no. be in Parliament. I agree. Yeah, I think it's weird because I think that the, there is a kernel of truth to the, the Johnson thing, the, the Johnson's like excuses. In that, sure, it depends on how you you read what he said, but he did almost sufficiently caveat his comments in Parliament originally to to provide him with a veneer of plausible deniability. Yes. You know, it was all about like it, he didn't make any specific claims about what happened. It was just sort of what I was told. So he said, you know, I've been told this, not, I've, and I've been yeah. told that. So that he just pushes the blame onto the next person. Yeah. And I think you're right. Had he not sort of done what he did within the committee, he might well have got away with it. Yeah. It's, um, so just to finish up on then, um, what do we think Johnson's going to do now? So now he's out of Parliament. There's been some tentative suggestions that he might try and run in one of these other constituencies, perhaps yeah. mid-Bedfordshire, which... Mm. You know, I think that was floated a lot on Friday, and then on Saturday, people sort of yeah. realised that CTHQ will obviously block that yeah. if he tries to do that. So I, I presume both of you are writing that off yeah. immediately. I think it's happening. There's, I, sorry. Well, yeah. I was going to say, I think if he genuinely wants to return as leader, he's better off waiting until the next election, standing for a seat like Henley, which is his old seat, which is open at the next election, standing there, getting elected, assuming the Conservatives lose badly. Rishi Sunak will be replaced. He can run in that leadership election and become leader again. You know, I don't think that will happen, but I think that's his best yeah. option. Um, but his whole political career has been a series of, like, making moves to make people think that you're going to do something and they're not actually doing it. Like with uh, when, after the Brexit vote, when he came out and said, I'm not going to run for the leadership. And then uh, last year, after this trust resigned, him getting all these signatures and then saying, actually, I'm not going to run for the leadership. He really kind of baits people into thinking he's about to make a move and then backs out. So I think he's more likely to wait, wait you, it out. Do basically. you think he does that because he wants to try and gauge support for him? Do you think that this is some sort of like... Because yeah, I, I think know. a lot of it, you know, not to try and dive too deep into his personality, but there, I think there is a thing about approval with him that kind yeah. of goes through, that underpins all of this. I think, and I think that the party, it, the party yeah. stuff... It's just starting to sound very Westist politics here. But, <laughs> but a I bit think, of Johnson psychoanalysis. Yeah. yeah. It's nice. Yeah. I Maybe guess I have been listening to too much. <laughs> he might like the fact that he can say, I, you know, I'm not the leader because I chose not to run, not because yeah. I got beaten by someone. But I, I he, he did... When... Uh, Liz Truss went mm. he did say something along those lines oh, of I, I could have I, won I yeah, I, yeah I had the signatures I could have won yeah. but I decided not to I think he quite likes mm. being able to say those things um, so we're all in agreement he's probably not going back to parliament in the next six weeks you know in these by-elections yeah. yeah. so what's he going to do between now and the next election do we all think well, I think that's so. That's one option is that he stands on the sidelines as a sort of media opposition figure, gets a column in the Telegraph, mm, maybe becomes yeah. editor of the Telegraph, and then just sorts, you know, throws mud at Sunak mm. for the next couple of years and then runs again. 
The other possible outcome is that he creates a new party, which is something that's sort of been floated multiple times over the past couple of months. It's interesting, it's something actually today Nigel Farage said he was open to. So Nigel Farage today said that he'd been talking to, as, as always, people close to Boris Johnson. I mean, who the <laughs> fuck isn't close to Boris Johnson these days? And, um, and that he'd been, he'd been pitching the idea. Um, and so that would be, I mean, that'd be, that'd be quite something, wouldn't it? And sort of Farage Johnson ticket. The only thing, yeah, the only reason I think that is, this is possible is I don't think Johnson would actually want to be in opposition for five years. Yeah. So that's the only thing that makes me doubt the plan of, of coming back as leader of the opposition after 2024, once Sunak has lost, because that would imply waiting until 2029 to yeah. actually just be a I minor think, I, politician. I think he, in some ways, yeah. he'd, I don't know. I think he's deluded is enough it, to think that he would be able to force an election. Yeah, or something yeah. like that. Equally, or, I think he's deluded enough to think that he could win a substantial minority in Parliament if he started his new party. So I think yeah. he, that's the mm. fastest way of getting there. And in, in his mind, that probably gets him the most power because he wins a sort of like majority-denying minority mm. in Parliament, forces coalition negotiations, you know, puts in some, some wild policies as like a prerequisite for any coalition with him, something like that. Yeah, I, so yeah. I, I, I sort of see that as a, as a, as a possibility. The, the only thing I'll say, I think the last thing to say about this is just that this is phenomenal news for, for Labour. I think it's phenomenal <laughs> yeah. news for Labour for two reasons. One, most obviously, it restarts that internal psychodrama that has damaged the Tory brand so much. I mean, you know, they've gone, their reputation is sort of like a ruthless electoral winning machine. It's just in the dust. Like mm, they now yeah. just look like a bunch of divas. And then the other reason I think it's really, I think this is sort of understated. The reason I think it's really bad news for, for Sunak especially is that an open warfare between, open war, open, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, but yeah, full on warfare between Sunak and Johnson corners Sunak politically because one of the attack lines that Johnson uses is that Sunak is not following through on the commitments made in the 2019 manifesto. So stuff like leveling up, stuff about, um, you know, the, the vote stuff. But I, the, the problem with that is, is that means that Sunak really is cornered into his particular managerial brand of politics. You know, Sunak, the second that Sunak opens up and tries something a little bit more, let's just say like fiscally generous, mm. it looks like he's sort of conceding leveling up to Boris Johnson. Do you see what I mean? And I think that that's one of the sort of understated effects of that is it means that Sunak is now sort of restricted to his basically reheated Osbanism, sort of, sort of Cameroon style managerialism. And the, the fundamental problem with that is that there just is not sufficient electoral support yeah. in the UK to win a majority on that policy base. Um, whereas for the Conservatives, I think it's something that Boris Johnson was just correct in identifying. The only way they can win a majority these days is with some sort of cross-class coalition. And that does require something like levelling up. Mm. Um, but Sunak now doesn't have the political space to go there because Boris Johnson has made that, that sort of policy, that just that general sort of focus on regional disparity and being more fiscally generous than the Tories used to be, at least under David Cameron, he's made that his political territory. And the second that Sunak goes over there, it, in some sense, I mean, it doesn't, but it, it seems to vindicate Johnson. And so I think that's the, that's the, one of the understated consequences of all this. So. Yeah. Keir Starmer is possibly the luckiest leader of the opposition <laughs> yeah. in history. Couple that with you know, Nicola Sturgeon being arrested and the SNP yeah. collapse. We didn't even He's talk had about a very that. good week. Yeah. Old Keir Starmer has. Well, we'll have to see what happens in the next week. We'll yeah. be back uh, next week, probably not Monday, but sometime next week to yeah. discuss this. So this should be a regular weekly thing from now yeah. on. And hopefully we'll be able to discuss... <laughs> back by uh, demand. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We'll be able to discuss these by-elections when they come around as well. Excellent. So uh, thank you both. Yeah, thank, thank you, time. Ben.